0: The threat from China, hello everybody and welcome to the conversation. I'm David Schuster, China is not America's friend. China gave America COVID, it has lied repeatedly. It wants Americans to turn against each other. That is essentially the foundation as I see it of a compelling novel that has been written by John Moody. The novel, a fiction work is called Of Course They Knew, Of Course They dot dot dot. John has been a, a journalist his entire life. He was an executive for 22 years at Fox News. And full disclosure, as we bring him bring him in here, um, as some of you know, I was a reporter at Fox News for five years. And John Moody was the one who actually hired me. And we had a whale of a time covering stories like the Monica Lewinsky scandal and others. Eventually, it became clear to me that Fox was not such a good fit for me. And I know for some of the executives, I was not a good fit for Fox News. However, that was 20 years ago. And I've always had great uh, respect and admiration for John Moody. So with that disclosure, John, let's fight. <laughs> Welcome to the conversation. Thanks for having me, I, David. It's a- do I have the premise of the book about right?
1: Yeah, you have it exactly right, David. Um, the, the the book is a novel uh, because I simply could not do the kind of reporting that I would have expected of myself or frankly of you. Uh, to get the facts and and to know exactly what I was saying uh, and to be able to prove it all. Uh, China wasn't gonna let me in. Uh, the WHO, the World Health Organization was kind of uncooperative. And of course, all the Chinese government factions were were solidly uh, aligned in keeping a wall of silence about what happened. And they allowed it to happen and they allowed it to spread throughout the world. And uh, I think that the fact that they have not been held to stricter account Uh, speaks volumes about their growing power and the diminishing power of of, uh, Western nations.
0: I would agree with you that uh, that China, I think, is is not honest. Uh, they clearly have lied about a lot of things. Uh, the book has a character named Mr. Wee, who runs a uh, artificial intelligence lab. And he says that ultimately the US and Chinese systems are going to collide and that America's so-called democracy must be crushed. It's shell flattened and incorporated into socialism with Chinese characteristics. Crushing America, is that what you think China is really intending to do?
1: I think they're trying to crush it in the sense that uh, you try to crush a, a walnut uh, in, a, in a in a nutcracker. They're doing it slowly. They're doing it on every side, and they are def- absolutely determined that the Chinese model of socialism, uh, which they, they, as Deng Xiaoping, as uh, Xi Jinping has called it, uh, uh, socialism with Chinese characteristics, will be the world's leading model of government
0: is that opportunity though the flip side of this is that well maybe we shouldn't be so concerned about China because of their own problems and and I say that I mean you've reported from all over the world you know the demographics show that in China it's an aging population they're going to lose 200 million workers over the next 30 years they'll gain another 200 million senior citizens their economy was not what it once was 15 years ago when it was growing by 14 or 15% now it's growing maybe by 2 or 3%. There is this argument that China is essentially losing its capacity whatever sort of it wants with the United States its ability to part of the United States diminishes over time, what do you make of that argument?
1: Well, I, I, I do have respect for that argument. I think that China does have some demographic problems. I think it also has some basic economic flaws in its system. We've seen that with the the Evergrande collapse, that, that great um, uh, real estate uh, behemoth that uh, really owes more money than it's ever gonna be able to repay. Uh, the government uh, keeps props up uh, businesses that it thinks are worthwhile, but mostly it props up businesses that are loyal to the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, so yeah, there there are tons of problems, including by the way, David, now uh, a couple of weeks before the Olympics started in Beijing, China has a parching water shortage. It was going to artificially cre- create snow for all these ski uh, jumps and lifts. Uh, Beijing doesn't get snow in the winter, sorry to inform everybody. And they were gonna create it artificially and now they have a water shortage. So good luck with, uh, with all those rappels down the hill. And it does suggest that maybe, I mean, China's got more problems than
0: some Americans like to think. But but putting that aside, one of the things you point out in the book, and I love that you have a character that runs an artificial intelligence lab. Because a lot of Americans may not realize that China really has been making incredible inroads in artificial intelligence. And the United States is falling farther and farther behind. What are the dangers with that as you see them?
1: Well, I think that if you believe that artificial intelligence is the the uh, art of the future, uh, you have to understand that China is miles and, and hundreds of miles ahead of us in their research and development. Uh, they were creating drones that were run by artificial intelligence almost 10 years ago. Before that term AI really came into common knowledge. Um, China is is definitely creating weaponry. Uh, that is controlled by artificial intelligence and that raises the very scary prospect whether or not they have an aging population that they might have an army that does not include human beings and that it can be dispatched with the press of a button.
0: One of the characters that you have a straight shooting guy from Pittsburgh named Jerry. I know that uh, you're from Pittsburgh. Um, Jerry uh, tires it seems of the political correctness in the United States. Um, Is that character
1: you? I share Pittsburgh with Jerry, not all of Jerry's beliefs, uh, but, I, but I do have to admit that that uh, in going back to my hometown and talking to people that I still know there, uh, there has been more skepticism, I think, about the, the government's response, both to COVID and of course to the, the horrible, horrible state of our politics. Uh, in the United States, Pittsburghers are kind of independent thinkers and they don't like to be pushed around. And I wouldn't say that they're a bunch of anti-vaxxers or anything. That's not the case. But they they really don't like being told by a diktat uh, what they have to do.
0: Part of the book uh, has the Chinese essentially taking advantage of this sort of um, these conflicts in the United States and trying to uh, exacerbate them. Uh, it suggests a certain level of sophistication in terms of China's understanding of US domestic politics. Um, Whether or not China really does have that understanding. Is that something generally that you feel that a foreign adversary, China, Russia, anybody else? uh, How big of a challenge do you see that being in the future?
1: I I actually think it's an underlying threat to everything that China intends to do. And the reason I say it David is, while I was doing my research for this, again it's a novel. But I did some serious research trying to to understand the Chinese Communist Party system. there are different levels of schools as there are in the United States, I guess. But in China, there are different levels of schools for people who they think have higher potential to serve the party. And at the highest level are schools where in order to get out of our equivalent of the eighth grade, which would mean you know 12 years, 13 years old. Chinese students have to know all 50 American states and their capitals. Now, how many 13 year old Americans can do that?
0: Yeah, I'm not sure many 13-year-old Americans can even name a single city in, in China. Um, there is um, a great concern among so many of us that our politics in the United States is beyond repair. Um, do you share that view or are you an optimist or a pessimist when it comes to the future of the United States, putting aside, again, China, putting aside other US adversaries. But just in terms of how we have, as Americans work together. And the reason I bring this up is I think if somebody would have told me at the beginning of the pandemic, okay, there's gonna be a vaccine within a year um it's going to be you know we're going to have the means to try to sort of fight this thing the idea that we would be as divided as we are now with sort of such a lack of trust both in government but also in institutions like medicine i would have said no way i mean we would have kicked this thing certainly after 2 years
1: yeah i mean that's i think that's what a large part of the population thought and and here we are still worrying about variants and 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 arguments about uh, you know can i do i have to get vaccinated if i don't want to and what if i infect somebody else am i culpable for that Our politics are certainly broken. I I have a friend, David, who's a good historian, an honest American historian, loves the country greatly, and he talks about the pendulum theory. And the pendulum theory being you go back and forth from one extreme to the other. And the sweet spot, of course, is in between these wild gyrations of the pendulum when it's sort of in the middle. And that's what he keeps saying is coming back. He hopes it's coming back. He writes about it coming back and uh, he's smarter than I am. So I just listen and read and, and hope that we're coming back to the middle
0: there's also uh, some historians who point out that uh, any sort of societies where the Difference between sort of the wealthy and poor keeps sort of growing and growing and growing, and sort of the middle class gets hollowed out as a society that cannot last. And there are a lot of people who watch this particular channel. We're very concerned about income inequality, and you know the wealthy who have made you know billions and trillions of dollars during the pandemic, while the other 99 percent have not done as well, are losing. Um, do you buy that argument that uh, that income inequality is one of these issues that also, along with our sort of politics, has to be fixed?
1: Yeah, I think it has to be fixed. I I don't think it can be fixed by simply confiscating the wealth of the top 1%. Uh, It has to be a wider arc of cooperation. And it also has to be said that government is not always the answer to this. I I think that there are some companies that could easily and and painlessly uh, redistribute some of their profits Uh, so that it reached a a wider part, not just of their workforce, but of society as a whole. And I think there was a recent Gallup or some survey that I saw this week uh, about the top, the the ten wealthiest people in the world, how much money they've gained in the past year versus how the rest of the world has fared. Um, It it angers people. We we don't like unfairness in our our system. And I think that these kind of figures and these kind of of, uh, statistics show that something's wrong and something's unfair about our system. And does that unfairness get to
0: something that you and I, I know I've spent a lot of time thinking about and that is our career choices. The amount of time we've spent in cable news, it feels like, I mean, the public approval ratings for, for journalists is like at an all time low in part because we are more partisan just in
1: our media than we were 20 years ago. Is that irreversible? No, I don't think so. And, and and it's a great question, David. I don't think it's irreversible because I think that there are now editors and, and executives in the, the the media and I won't just say television or cable news or whatever. But who are going back and insisting you are a reporter, just say what you know, say what you saw, say what you've learned and don't tell us what you think about it. Just do your job, get it out there and let the people that are listening and reading and and, and, and watching make their own decisions.
0: But the flip side of that is, well, would there be an audience for that? Because there's so many different places that any of us can go to have our biases reaffirmed and make ourselves feel better.
1: That's a real problem and you can't just re-educate your own audience. You you can't yell at them and tell them they're stupid. Uh, But I think that eventually a a show like yours that is just trying to present the facts and, and, and let people know that at the end of the show they're gonna know more than they did than at the beginning. That's a valuable tool and it's something to be emulated. Finally, John, is there a sequel
0: to of course they knew, of course, dot, dot, dot?
1: There certainly is, it is coming along and I hope to have it published (laughs) this year. Any clues you can give us about where it's gonna go? We comes back and so does a character that's also in the book, in the first book. (laughs)
0: Okay, John Moody, he is the author of, it's a terrific novel, regardless of where you are on the political spectrum, uh, it'll take you right back to the beginning of the pandemic. And ironically, John, I read this uh, over this weekend when I was quarantined because I tested positive for COVID. Um, I didn't show any symptoms, but of course, I had to stay away from the family. So I read your book and it was it was great timing. And uh, congratulations on all the success with the book and in your life post Fox News. And thanks so much for joining
1: us on the conversation. I hope the, show, the book didn't make you any sicker, David. Be well. <laughs> okay. thanks, John. Take care.
0: Voting rights, welcome back to the conversation, I'm David Schuster. The US Senate is trying to pass some voting rights legislation that uh, has already cleared the US House, but the votes don't seem to be there in the US Senate in part because of the filibuster and the refusal of two Democrats, Manchin and Cinema, to go along with any sort of change to filibuster rules that would make it easier to pass this. Uh, joining us is Tiffany Miller, she's the president, Mueller, she's the president of uh, N Citizens United and president of Let America Vote. Um, Tiffany, what do you make of what's been going on in the Senate?
2: Well, first David, thanks so much for having me on today. I really appreciate yeah. it. And, you know, for the first time this year, the Senate is finally debating these really important measures. Um, and, you know, that's very critical because what we've seen leading up to this point is Senator McConnell and Senator and the Senate Republicans blocking even having a debate on these issues up until now. So we are finally debating this issue and at the end of the day what it's gonna come down to is every single senator is going to have to make a choice. Are they gonna vote on the side of democracy and to protect the fundamental freedom to vote? Or are they gonna stand with an outdated senate procedure that's causing gridlock and dysfunction in our system? And David, we know what's at risk. We are seeing the attacks on our democracy all across the country. We're seeing this impact voters ability to vote right now. So the time could not be more critical.
0: Senators Manchin and Cinema say that they are protecting democracy for the future because they argue that even if this were to be jammed through by changing the filibuster rules, then inevitably they say Republicans would change the filibuster rules when it suited their needs and even just say roll back whatever the democrats pass now.
2: Well, what we're seeing across the country is an all out attack on our democracy at the state legislative level. And in in those states, it only requires a simple majority to pass these uh, laws that make it harder to vote. And then a, a what we used to have as a backstop, both the courts and the Department of Justice are, are no longer available to us. The Supreme Court, uh, this is the Supreme Court that's gonna be known uh, its longest lasting legacy is going to be its attacks on democracy. From Citizens United decision to Shelby v. Holder to gutting the Voting Rights Act, uh, the court has been taken away, and the Department of Justice no longer has the tools it used to have in order to stop these voting rights attacks across the country. Right now, Congress is where we have the lever of power. To be able to set national standards and actually be able to fundamentally protect those freedoms. Um, and what we've seen in the past is that, you know, frankly, when power shifts from Democrats to Republicans or back again, uh, the party doesn't come in and take away whatever was passed previously. Um, and what really matters is, are we actually going to protect the foundations of our very uh, Democratic free and fair elections?
0: Republicans, of course, did try to um, change health care, uh, Obamacare. They were unsuccessful. But if you had an opportunity to you know, chat one on one with Senators Manchin, Senator Sinema, um, what would you say to them? I mean, is there one particular you know, point of leverage that you might have? Is there, I mean, what's the reasoning? I mean, how do you take somebody that is that firmly against this? And, and what's the best argument to try to get them to change their mind?
2: Well, David, as you know, we have been helping spearhead a campaign uh, that we're so proud of that has been putting pressure on the entire Senate, Senate Republicans and uh, Senate Democrats, in order to actually get this bill passed. And that has included everything from demonstrating the attacks that our democracy is under to showing that the filibuster has been changed 160 times in the past 40 years um, to demonstrating that, you know, it is not the filibuster that's. Uh, actually creating bipartisanship and cooperation in the Senate. But actually the filibuster that's keeping those things from happening. Um, And every single day there have been thousands and thousands of people across the country who have been involved in trying to make that case. I think Senator Sinema and Senator Manchin have all of the information at their fingertips. At the end of the day, it is frankly their choice on how they're going to vote. And we hope that they choose the side of democracy. Um, because I think the long arc of history is going to judge them for however they vote.
0: Senator Warren left open the possibility over the weekend of uh, primary challenges um, to Cinema. I suppose Ann Manchin, although his election isn't up for a while. If in fact they don't support the rest of the Democratic caucus on this, would you support a primary challenge against Senator Cinema?
2: Well, in Citizens United and Let America Vote, we, we absolutely engage in campaigns and elections. And our job is to elect champions who are gonna stand up for our democracy. Champions who are gonna fight to get money out of politics, who are gonna fight to protect the fundamental freedom to vote. And we have already issued a statement that says that any member of Congress who doesn't do everything necessary to get these bills passed will not be eligible for our endorsement or support in the future. And so we will evaluate the candidate and and we will endorse and uh, champion and and campaign for the folks who are actually going to make our democracy uh, a top priority in their campaign.
0: There's another uh, proposal that's sort of been floated out there. Some Republicans seem to be somewhat open to it. It's called the Electoral Reform Act. And what it would essentially do is block uh, some of the state legislatures from overturning election results in the manner that Donald Trump was seeking in the last election. And a lot of folks, some Republicans say, hey, let's just take care of that problem and make it a little bit easier for the actual votes to be counted in Washington as opposed to a legislature undermining that." Um, is it better to at least get that piece through if he can't get anything else? In other words, at least stop Donald Trump, what he was trying to do, even if he can't get the John Lewis bill or the other voting rights legislation.
2: The Electoral Count Act absolutely needs reformed. We know that. We saw what President Trump tried to do in 2020 um, and, and everything that happened in 2021 and leading up to January 6th. But this is also a little, this is about Senator McConnell being a little bit of Lucy with the football, right? He saw that there was a momentum happening with the Freedom to Vote Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. And this is his off ramp to take that momentum and push it towards something that he Views as uh, less harmful to Republicans' efforts to actually suppress the vote in states across the country. Um, So, the other thing that we haven't seen is a commitment to get 10 Republicans on board with that and to actually get that passed and signed into law. Um, So, I don't think that we should be too, I, I don't think that we should just assume that they are going to pass that bill. At the same time, yes, of course, we need to pass that. But you know what, David, that's not actually going to address the voter suppression that we are seeing in states right now. The voter suppression where in Texas, we're actually seeing half of mail-in ballot applications being rejected because of the new Texas law. Or in Georgia, where they're taking over election boards in places like Fulton County. Um, to bipartisan officials to kick out election officials. It does nothing to address those issues.
0: I'm so glad that you mentioned both Texas and Georgia because let's just assume, let's just assume that you can't get the voting rights legislation through Washington. What do you say to people in Texas and Georgia in terms of the local antidote to this? Is it okay, be more mindful, don't send in a mail-in ballot. you You have to vote in person. Is it, hey, we need more fair minded people to run for these local boards in Georgia? I mean, what should people do? Do in response?
2: Well what we're not going to do is give up, right We are this is a fight that is going to continue long after this vote in the Senate. And this this movement and this moment is too important to give up. So we are absolutely going to take the, the lessons that we learned from this campaign, the organization, the grassroots energy, and we're going to apply it up and down the ballot in states to fight against the voter suppression that we're seeing, uh, to help voters be able to access the ballot, to help elect uh, champions of reform and, and democracy, to hold Republicans accountable for what they're doing uh, all across the country, and to continue pushing on the federal level as well with any potential legislative vehicles in the future. Um, at the same time, you know what? It is not okay that right now what's happening is that that Republicans are putting up an obstacle course that is primarily targeting black and brown and young voters from being able to access the ballot box. That's not okay. And the effort that's gonna have to go in to trying to out-organize around it um, is effort taken away from just being able to you know turn out the vote and, and run a good campaign. And it is immoral and it is not right.
0: Over your shoulder and Citizens United, of course, that was the landmark case that essentially said, okay, there are no limits essentially on campaign finances. All this money that can flow through. I've always said to people that one of the characters, one of the villains in all of this is the media, at least the mainstream media. Because there's so much money that is flowing through the broadcast networks and now some of the you know tech giants as well in terms of campaign advertising. There's no incentive for broadcast news organizations to say, Let's look at whether there should be less money in politics because they make so much money from money in politics. It's the same thing with you know Facebook and, and others. So when you have that big an institution, the mainstream media, which wants as much money in politics as possible. It feels like the, the, the mountain is even steeper.
2: You're right, David. This week is the 12th anniversary of the Citizens United ruling by the Supreme Court. And for your viewers, that ruling did uh, two Took two really terrible ideas and it merged them together. And it said, money equals speech and corporations are people. And it allowed unlimited and undisclosed money to flood into our politics. And prior to the Citizens United ruling, there was about what we saw was about $143 million of outside spending. Now we see last cycle, there was over $12 billion spent in our elections. Um, with over a billion dollars alone in just undisclosed dark money from outside sources, you know groups that run advertisements that can say anything they want and say things like "Americans for Better Puppies" at the end of it. Um, to us, this this connection between policy and money is one of the underlying dysfunctions in our system, and it is absolutely critical that we address it. One of the things we're fighting for so hard in the Freedom to Vote Act is actually the Disclose Act, which would force at least transparency and accountability of all of that money that's flooding into our system. Because we also know that sometimes that sunshine actually gets some of that money out of the system.
0: I agree. I'm like I think until you know the broadcasters can be brought to heel. I just you know broadcast and big media. I mean, a lot of news organizations won't even talk about campaign finance reform because the owners of their company (laughs) they don't want the discussion. In any case, Tiffany Muller, president of Citizens United and president of Let America Vote. Tiffany, good luck with all the campaigns that you're doing. Fingers crossed that something can break through. And thanks for joining us on the conversation. We appreciate it.
2: Thanks so much for having me on.
0: You got it, and that'll do it for this edition of The Conversation on behalf of Asher
1: Cofield, John Skip Vlaka, Gina Kim, and the rest of the gang at The Young Turks. I'm David Schuster, thanks
2: for watching.